welcome to another edition of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts. Joining us today is not regular co-host, Kovar Koblu, who hopefully in this moment is sitting on a beach somewhere, sipping beer from a coconut, enjoying the hard-earned fruits of his labor. So if you're watching this on CGB's YouTube channel, rest assured that he's got his feet kicked up somewhere and he's just like daydreaming about crushing mono red mages <laughs> and having a good time. But instead, I'm joined today by one of my oldest content creator friends, someone who I connected with way back in the day, back when my relationship with Covert Go Blue was just a twinkle in the eye. And so I would like to introduce back to the show, Rich G, former uh, co-host of the Mythic Legendaries podcast. Some might say, including himself, the unluckiest magic player in the entire world. What's up, Rich G? How you doing, my friend? I'm wonderful, Arjuna. Thanks for having me back. It's wonderful to be here. Also, what an honor to be sitting in the throne of the one in Best of One. The well-deserved break. Hope CGB is having a great time not doing magic stuff. But thank you so much for having me on. I really am glad to have a platform to really showcase my unluckiest magic player in the world title. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Today, we're going to be going into what makes Rich so unlucky. This is also going to give us a great avenue to get a little bit conspiratorial. So we're going to kind of peer under the hood at some of the inner workings of Arena to see if we can figure out exactly how rigged it is and to try to get some perspective on what's happening to Rich and maybe you as well, listener. I bet it's happening. You know you've thought it in the back of your mind. And that's going to be the majority of what we talk about today. First, Rich, I just wanted to ask you, like, how's it been going, man? Because you and I started Magic Podcast and content creation somewhat around the same time. I think maybe you'd been in it a little longer than I had when I first fired it up, roughly on a similar trajectory. And then you and Mox actually wound the podcast down. That was probably, what, a year ago? Something like that. Yeah, about a year, year and a half now. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear why'd you wind it down? What have you been doing in the interim? And where are you now? The Mythic Legendaries podcast, I think we actually ended on or around episode 52 or so. It, like it kind of had like a year's worth of content. It might have been 55, something like that. But Mox and I would get together pretty much every week. And it came to a point where we were doing it at the beginning of the pandemic and stuff. Things were weird and you know getting together in person was still kind of like all right you're good all right we're good so she'd come over and we do our stuff and things just kind of got weird in both of our lives with the pandemic looming her job taking her out of town a lot she's a flight attendant and just the general overall interest in talking about our respective games every week just kind of was waning one day she came over we were going to do the episode and she, I could just tell she wanted to say something She's like, I don't think. And I was like, you don't want to do the podcast anymore. And she was like, no, I don't. And it was kind of like a relief, which is totally fine. It was like at a point where we were both happy to end it where it was. So we did our last episode that same day. And we talked about doing something here and there, but it really like, it was just finding the time, energy and effort to, to talk about the games. And we were both really, our heads weren't in it. And we definitely didn't want to 
produce a product that we didn't, you know, put all of our effort into. We're both very much feel like we want to put out a quality product. So that wasn't happening. And from that point on, my interest in magic kind of also was not at the level it was when I started the podcast or was doing the podcast, mainly because of a lot of the frustrations with what we were talking about, the unluckiness and the frustration of, of you know, losing streaks, all this stuff that I was putting a lot of emotional energy into, which we could probably talk about, which would be a good idea. Rich, sorry to interrupt you, but we have a third co-host who just joined the podcast. Uh, can you introduce our other guest today? Absolutely. So that is my cat. Um, she goes by Other Cat. She is known affectionately as the Other Cat. Um, her real name is Sunday, like the ice cream. Um, but I got her when she was a kitten. I had an adult boy cat that I loved dearly who has passed away a couple of years ago. She became kind of a, uh, you know, an unwanted stepchild of, of you know, sort of. And uh, she just became the other cat. So I love her. I feed her. I pet her. Don't worry. She is not neglected. She's loved. But she is affectionately referred to as the other cat. So that's her right there. She's wonderful. Can I refer to her as non-cat? Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. You know, I'm a huge fan of uh, her cousin, the toaster pastry Nyan cat or Nyan <laughs> cat. I think she's going to be non-cat today. She's non-cat. I, I appreciate yeah. that one. Yeah. Awesome. So as you were saying before, you were so elegantly interrupted. And she's always She always needs to be peering over my shoulder. I worry sometimes. But so we moved on. I moved on. I was playing magic. I wasn't enjoying it. I don't know, like play magic for a little bit, lose a little bit, get frustrated, you know, and that, I, I hit that wall. We streamed with the podcast. We, we did a lot of sort of crossover. So we did the po podcast stuff like a lot of people, content creators do. They stream, they podcast, they do YouTube stuff. I was streaming as well. I had a great community of people from the podcast that transitioned over to when I was just streaming as, and it just kind of just fell off my radar. Again, this is the pandemic is like full swing at this point. I just kind of gave up on it. I started a business, you know, I started a new band, like a lot of like more like life things were happening and magic just kind of fell by the wayside a little bit. I don't know, within the last few months, I think with uh, Arena Mobile, as we've talked about before we started, um, the ability to play in other places, let's just say, um, I don't want to out myself exactly <laughs> where we're playing, but we all know where you've been playing, Rich. <laughs> and just dipping back in with people like yourself and the folks I know on Twitter and the Discord communities, and people are still like, hey, where you been? What, what are you up to? And that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, you know what? Why haven't I been? And so I started streaming a little bit more. I'm trying to get back on the horse, as they say. I'm playing Magic a lot more. I'm hitting mythic sooner in the seasons a lot more, which was a big thing for me in the past. I was just like not able to ladder up real fast, like a lot of these pros do. Um, but now I'm feeling a little bit more like confident in my stuff. And a lot of the emotional ties that I had to magic, which were negative have gone away. And here I am again, but doesn't mean I'm still not the unluckiest magic player on the planet. I just deal with it a lot differently now. You've evolved in your ability to co to cope <laughs> with your lot in life. So before we get into the specifics of that, what formats do you tend to play? I am mainly um, constructed. I don't play limited anymore. I haven't really invested money into the game in probably about a year. I play 
standard right now I'm in historic for whatever reason. Um, standard kind of got a little old for me, but I am a constructed player. I enjoy all of the formats of constructed. So let's put it that way. But right now I'm kind of like tried out alchemy for a couple of weeks since it came out and it's fun, but I, for whatever reason, I kind of am steering away for it at the moment. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. Cause I just, it's a hot topic. What are your initial thoughts, reflections on alchemy? How's it been feeling to you. I absolutely love it. I actually was talking last night on stream. I was playing Alchemy, testing some control decks out and the gameplay, like the very specific Alchemy based gameplay, like the perpetual stuff and the key to the archive, like using historic cards and stand in quote unquote standard. There's so many different things now. All of those things are so cool. And if you look at it as a completely different format, right, which it is, you can have so much fun with it, but you have to realize where you're, it's like this adjustment period of being like, oh no, I lost to approach of the second son uh, again in standard. You know what I mean? Like it's been happening so often, but these are the things that are, are happening. And these are like the things that you have to be on the lookout for. I was just playing and I was like, this is so cool. It creates a whole new archetype of deck. The gameplay is so cool. So my first impressions hearing about it was like, whoa, this is Hearthstone because I was with Mox and we talked about Hearthstone all the time and I knew how Hearthstone played. Once that was released and the spoilers of the gameplay and, and digital only cards and this, that, the other thing, I was like, whoa, this is straight up Hearthstone. And actually Mox and I saw each other the day that the alchemy format was spoiled or revealed or whatever. And I told her like, you'll never believe what's going on. And she, we got all excited about it. She happened to just stop by that same day. I was like, it's like Hearthstone. She's like, oh my God. But once I started playing, I invested a little bit of my gold in some packs and built some decks and burned some wild cards. But I can't say like, I feel bad about burning wild cards on it. It's like cool to have a few decks in that format because it is really enjoyable. But you really have to be in the mood for it, I think. You know, it's it's definitely like with any format, you have to know what to play and what's out there and how to adjust. And I think that's really cool for the game to have another level of thinking and gameplay under the magic umbrella. Okay, so you just view it as like, that's eh, another option. I enjoy it when I'm in the mood. Exactly. I'll spend money on it if I feel like it. One thing that I did sigh about, I'm sure a lot of people did, is that it it's another money sink. Like if you were at a point like I was at, I had 20,000 gold saved up and I haven't, like I mentioned earlier, I haven't paid to play Arena in quite a while. I had 20, 22,000 gold and I was like, all right, you know what? I'll buy 22 packs of the alchemy with gold, 10 wild cards, rare and mythics. I went from there and I'm still feeling it out. I was this close to clicking on buying gems to craft a couple more of the cards. I really, so I'm in that point where I'm like, my teeth are sunk in, but I didn't take the bite yet, you know, because I could definitely go all in on it and and play it all the time because I am having a lot of fun with it. But I worry because I don't want it. it's just going to become another like format that you need to buy cards for that's it's just expanding exponentially all of these new sets and things. So that was my one kind of eye roll moment. It's like, oh, I got to pay for this game. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, inevitably rolls back around to that, right? It's like the slow pan across, right? The camera pans and you have like, oh, like sexy plastic surgery Soren, you know? And then you have like beautiful Olivia, you know? And then you have like, you know, this epic pet or whatever. And then it comes over and there's just like a tax collector. <laughs> like, so, you know, he's just like, True. pay up, buddy. <laughs> you know? Just like, gimme, gimme. Yeah, exactly. Just breaking the fourth wall, you know? I mean, it's just right there. So I think that's the experience for a lot of players. And the fact that you can't win the packs through drafting either means that you got to pay for them one way or another, you know? I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who are fine, but the sort 
sort of middle of the road, free to play player like myself now with all these sets coming out and how fast they come out and the different styles of sets and the different formats. It's so much. And I mean, I'm sure we've all felt like this before Arena. It was like set, two months later, set, two months later. And now with all the new format and everything, what is the historic horizons or whatever it was? And now alchemy stuff and then jumpstart stuff. It's like, come on, come on. You're going to spend it eventually. So I never thought I'd be on this side of it, but I've become a little like whaley over time, basically just because I went super deep on a handful of draft formats that I really enjoyed. And I've been able to sustain my habit because of that. So, you know, every once in a while, like a Zendikar Rising or a Theros Beyond Death will come along and I'll just obsessively draft it. You know, I'll get like hundreds of packs and bunch of wild cards and stuff. And that usually sustains me throughout the periods where, you know, I'm not doing that. And of course, you know, Covert Koblu is just, you know, he's got like a bottle of champagne in one hand, you know. And he's a little dragon pet on top of the gold jumping around, right? But it's it's just wild cards. You know, slapping the buy pack button, you know, <laughs> with his cigar in his mouth, right? That's the life that he's living. <laughs> I think a lot of people in our audience will appreciate the somewhat more sobering perspective that you bring. It's just something that you have to kind of keep an eye on. And I, I've talked about it in the past, the Mythic Legendaries podcast, like where to put your wild cards and your gold and your gems and stuff. You brought up a good point about limited. Limited is probably the best way to pad your collection, build your collection, get wild cards, get cards. It serves like a dual role. You actually get to draft, you get to learn a format, you get to play, and then you get to build your cards. But unfortunately, they're starting with you know formats that you can't do that with. So that's when you take inventory of your wild cards and you're like, all right, well, well, do I want to play historic? Do I want to play alchemy? Do I want to play standard? Because in a month and a half, we're going to see spoilers for another set. And, you know, you got to pick a lane, essentially, as the kids say, pick a lane. If you're not a whale, you definitely have to do some budgeting. So I was a, a click away from spending that 50 bucks on gems the other day. It's a testament, though, to how much I was enjoying what I was doing. I felt no negativity. I wasn't like, oh, man, they got me. And I was like, oh, man, I want to play more. It was almost like that innocent. I just want to open some packs and hopefully I get that cool rare. It was the very basis of what magic is, you know, in the beginning. But the mature adult in me stepped in and was like... You don't need to spend $50 right now, Richard. We have Magic at Home. And Magic at Home was like, instead of the Inquisitor Captain, I put in like whatever rare that doesn't do that thing. You just went back to playing your favorite Magic cards, I'm sure, Richard, which is uh, Collected Company, right? Rich has a rich history, as it were, with Collected Company. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Let's get around to that portion of the show. This is really why we're all here. So Rich, when was the moment that you realized that you were in fact the unluckiest magic player who has ever lived? So I've always had this feeling when I would play a game such as magic, I was always on the short end of it. Whatever the worst outcome could be in that moment, and it came down from me winning or losing, that specific thing would happen that would make me lose. That's oh, I just had this dark cloud following me. You're like the 95% to win and you're just always hitting that 5%. To <laughs> Absolutely. I used to play higher stakes poker as sort of a living many years back. Really good in, at doing so. Like, I don't know what I did to the universe, but at one point, the variance kicked in. If you play magic, you've heard the word variance and you know about statistical things will happen. The worst thing will happen eventually to you if you play long enough. But for some reason, all of those bad things were happening in succession. All of the 5% were happening over and over and over and over again. This was real money. You know, this wasn't magic. This was real money involved. And so I stepped away from poker for a little while. 
And fast forward to playing magic and that feeling when I was like, there's no way they had no cards in hand. I need to just play this to win. They, they drew one. There's no way this is a counter spell or a remove spell or whatever it is happened. And I got that sick feeling in my stomach happening. It was like a nightmare. I was like, no, it's not happening again. And those incidences just kept happening to me. This is a prime example of when I think I changed my Twitter handle. You've probably noticed to the unluckiest magic player in the universe. I was in a standard matchup playing blue-white control in standard. And my opponent was playing an aggressive deck, creatures on the board. I was probably at like five or six life. There were 20. Typical blue-white control against the aggro, right? At the end of their turn, I memory deluge. I had 12 lands in play. I had eight board wipes in my deck still. I deluge for seven into seven lands. I can call it nowadays. I can just feel it coming Scroll back and forth. I just look at it. I laugh. I'm like, okay, so I take two lands, whenever. And then it comes to my turn. What do I do? I draw a land. Eight lands on top of my deck, 12 lands in play, and probably a field of ruin in the graveyard. So there's 13 lands accounted for, 26 or so in the deck, eight lands on top of my deck. You know, I didn't have anything to like search for a board wipe or whatever. So I lose that match. And it was at that moment, this was kind of recently where I was like, this is official. It's not just, it's not just like this one thing had happened. And I'm like, I'm the unluckiest person in the world. These are the things that happen to me all the time. What is the worst case scenario? Oh, they have one, the the a Johnny Planeswalker that exiles all your stuff if you're at 30 life or whatever, right? I think this is actually my Twitch preview video I put up a long time ago. I was in like a heated ladder match. I had a board full of creatures. They were at like 45 or something. I finally stabilized. I just got to get one swing in. They had no cards in hand. Their turn. I bet you they, they're going to draw a Johnny here. They're going to draw. And sure enough, if they draw the card and it comes out as soon as they draw it because they knew that that's the one card they needed. Slam it down, exile all my stuff, and I lose. I couldn't recover. I didn't. Have, I was playing some sort of deck that couldn't draw cards for whatever reason. And uh, the other day, Alchemy had just come out, and I was playing that mono black sacrifice drain archetype that was floating around. There's 20 lands in the deck. I was village rightsing and deadly disputing and wolf drawing a card. There was nine lands in play, 12 lands in play, and I had drawn seven lands in a row. And I, I changed it to my header picture. Um, my Twitter too, by the way. So if you see my Twitter, it's like eight swamps in my hand and like two meat hook massacres in my hand and like nine or 12 lands in play. So it's like all the lands in the deck are physically out of the deck. And it was only halfway through the deck. You know what we call that, Rich? That's deck thinning. Straight gas from here on out, man. It was all uh, strategically planned. Yes, exactly. I've watched some other content creators. The two that jump into my mind are Deathsea and Ash Lizzle are also notable landlords. I've watched folks like y'all go through these successively hyperbolic phases of being like, okay, what if I go to 20 lands? Doesn't seem right, but you know, boom, let's try it out. Oh, oh okay. 18 lands. I've literally watched Ash Lizzle play these angels decks with like 17 lands in them. Less than a third of her deck is land because it's just, you know, she's like, what am I supposed to do? You know? Exactly. What are you supposed to do? And I do the same exact thing. Let's take some lands out. But when you're playing a deck that's got 20 lands in it, you're really on the line there. You're like, if I take any out, am I going to draw enough? Oh, sure. My curve tops at three, but you know, I need to curve out. And then you go and you take one land out and then arena acts like you took seven lands out of your deck and you only draw won the entire game. It, those are the interact. Like I literally have this love hate relationship with arena because I feel like 
it really knows when I'm there because it's like, oh, we're going to do that thing to him again. There's an intern that really has it out for me on, on the arena client. I'm looking at a picture here. So I had taken to start to take uh, screenshots of my unfortunate happenings. So I have a folder of 1,780 screenshots. <laughs> I almost did a spit take. Wait, say that. Say that number again. 1,780 screenshots. Like I'm looking at one from way back, May of 2019. I have five, nine, 13 lands in play and four in my hand. And I'm playing, uh, it looks as if I'm playing a draft. 17 land deck uh, and basically all of the lands. I have one creature out and one artifact looks like a guild globe or something in play. Next screenshot from the same day. I'm playing standard. It looks like I'm playing some Grixis control. Your opening hand opponent goes first, zero lands in my hand. It's, you know, a thought erasure, a nickel bolus, a nickel bolus, a discovery. The next picture, I'm just literally just randomly clicking. It's the same deck, but I have uh, three, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 13 lands in play and four in my hand. And one nickel bullets in play, but my opponent has plenty to uh, to come over and kill me with. So it became like evidence. I was like, I'm going to get them. I'm going to get Wizards of the Coast at some point. I'm going to, and that, like, it became a joke. I mean, it became kind of the guy because at this point I was podcasting and I was, you know, we all vent about it. We have bad beat stories and such. Of course, that's what we're doing right now. You know, I, I had mentioned at one point, I'm like, I'm going to print all these out one day and I'm going to march into that office and I'm going to see all the Watsy execs on this table. I'm going to slam down this folder. I'm like, what's happening here? What is going on behind the scene. You know what I mean? I just have this, this rage because it's like human beings recognize patterns, right? Like we we're very good at recognizing a pattern. And with arena, you're playing so many matches in real life. You don't get to play this much, obviously on arena, you play dozens, if 10, 20, 30 matches in a couple hours, you know, and you start to see stuff and then it permeates the community. And it becomes like when bone crusher giant was in standard, right? If you were on the draw and you play your two drop, your two drop always got Bone Crusher Giant. If your opponent played a red source, there was no way that on turn two, your thing wasn't dying. It just becomes a thing, right? What do I do to stop that? Why is this happening? And that, so for me, I, I might sound like crazy first. I should get my, my hat and put it on. Do I have one? I ready to go. Don't leave home without your tinfoil hat. I absolutely have one. I just feel as if that um, you start recognizing these patterns and people talk about it. And then there's two sides to it. It's variance. It's magic. It's a game. It's random, whatever. Then there's the facts that it's not random, that there's a hand smoothing algorithm, which I don't know what that means. That's the terminology that people throw out there. We refer to this stuff as the shuffler. That's what it's become. It's become this sentient being. He's summoned a little inkling that's just kind (laughs) of chilling there. Like it's a, a thing that's floating behind the scenes. It's just looking at you. It's like, oh, Rich is on. Here's another land. Here's another land. And we we assign these like emotional values to these things that happen. And I was going back to what we were saying earlier, I got really negatively affected by these constant bad beats in magic. And it was not good for my mental health. I'll be like serious for a second here. And I want to definitely just address it. Like, I don't want to take it too serious because this is very funny to me at this point, but all of this stuff's really messed with me. It just really sucked the fun out of the game and it sucked the fun out of like what I was doing. And it's just now I've accepted my fate 
I've labeled myself the unluckiest magic player in the world. I'm sorry, the universe. And I can look back at these screenshots that I've taken of just like 19 lands in play or like not a single land to be seen. And, and my opponent like curving out perfect, like I'm looking right here. My opponent curved out on turn two with Steamkin, Steamkin, Pyromancer, Pyromancer, Chain Whirler, Firebrand, Firebrand uh, on turn three. And I'm sitting there with nothing in play. So, and then there's that part of it. Like, why do my opponents always have it? You know, we always say they never not have it, right? <laughs> once I get going, I mean, once I got the hat on, you know, I can I can talk for hours. <laughs> I just, this is a very common experience that people who play specifically Magic Arena have. Because here's the thing, you've played a lot of tabletop Magic, haven't you? And do you ever remember being like the least lucky tabletop player that you knew. I'm so glad you brought this up because I was thinking of that earlier. I definitely wanted to clarify too that I've played Magic since 1996. I've played Magic in real life thousands of times, right? And exactly what you're saying. I had to think back to like the days that I was playing Magic. Sure, there were times where you draw one land and be like, oh, just mulligan, whatever. Sure, okay, there was times you would you would flood out or whatever. But it, I would sit with my friends and play Magic for 12 hours straight. In real life, you'd shuffle, your friends would cut your deck and everything. And I cannot remember any times where I would constantly like flood out or draw four of the same six drop within the first 10 card. You know what I mean? The scry bug. I know this is a thing that CGB, I, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but I know that he often references the scry bug, especially because he plays control. The man does a lot of scrying. So you put something on the bottom and boom, it's the next card you draw. There it <laughs> right? is. Hi, I, you thought I was on the bottom. No, here I am. I just jumped on top again. You didn't see. Yeah. And that's just like, that's one of those weird things things where, again, I've played a lot of Paper Magic. I've been playing Magic since 94, and I don't ever remember that really being a thing. You know, it would happen occasionally. You'd be like, oh, look at that. Ha ha ha. You know, unlucky. It wasn't so commonplace where it was just like a laughable thing. Like, oh, I drew seven lands in a row. No, I don't think I ever drew seven lands, but you're right. Exactly. So the first deck where I start collecting evidence, because <laughs> I did the same thing. I was like, you know what, Arena? This has happened one too many times. I'm going to start charting this, right? I'm going to start tracking it. And the deck that did it for me was Mono Green. So this is what happened to me in Mono Green is I would keep hands with however many lands I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to get. Usually two. The hand smoothing algorithm, I think, especially in like a 24-ish land deck, definitely loves to give you those two lands. Two lands, opponent goes first. So I was playing mono green. I literally started to look over my shoulder, you know, like bang on the monitor, you know, like what's going on? Because I'd, I'd keep two landers and I would never, ever, 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 ever draw the third land. And it's so painful because basically this is the way mono green plays out. The curves are really good. The deck's built quite nicely. It's very aggressive. Usually if you hit your stuff on curve and your opponent's not knotting on you, you tend to win. And so I just have these like rage inducingly difficult hands. I'd have a one drop. I'd have a couple of two drops. I'd have a couple of three drops. I'd have two lands. What a fantastic hand. All I need to do is hit land number three and we're off to the races. And I would just go through game after game after game after game of being stuck on two lands. It got to the point where I started making poor deck building choices. I was like, despite the fact that my curve basically tops out at three, I'm putting like 25, 26 lands in my deck because I just really need to make sure that this doesn't happen to me. Now, of course, putting the extra lands in the deck didn't seem to have much of an effect 
it wasn't until they started printing these DFCs like the Mammoth, for example, Kazandu Mammoth, where I was actually able to get the necessary density of like freaking 28 potential lands in my deck to like... That's the sweet spot. That's where I start, by the way, at this point still. I'm, uh, every deck starts at 28 lands and we go from there. Well, yeah, exactly. In your control decks, you're on 20 and in your aggro decks, you're on 28, right? I really did. I, I was keeping a spreadsheet because this is what would happen. I'd like, I switch over to any other deck, some fires of invention deck need to be getting to my four drops and my five drops or whatever, you know, and I'd be running like 24, 25 lands in my fires of invention deck curve out fine. No problems. Everything's good. I'm hitting my Teferi's on three. Deck feels like it's supposed to. I switch back to mono green to land Purgatory again, you know? I got to a point where I just couldn't play the archetype anymore. I just couldn't do it anymore. You just mentioned an archetype that would only draw two lands. You could have 24 lands in the deck of a certain archetype. This is this sounds crazy. I know. I know people are gonna be like, this dude is just off the deep end, but I swear that there is certain archetypes that draw more lands or less lands based on what archetype the deck is. Because I'd play Jun Sacrifice in Historic, and that deck didn't run a lot of lands because everything was lots of ones, lots of twos, and a few threes, right? And I would flood out beyond belief. I'd be Trail of Crumbsing into two lands over and over and over again and just have all this land, nothing to do with it. And then another archetype you go back to, and it would be two lands, no third land. I just want to know, like, like, do you feel it out there? It's not just you. I've had that same experience. I've had that same feeling of like, I switched to a different deck and immediately my draws feel better. Yeah, like the deck feels like it's normal. <laughs> it just kind of feels like it's supposed to. I mean, I've definitely also had that experience. And it is weird because it makes you think like, come on, would they really do that? Would they really program that in? Where I'm at with it now is I think that, so there are algorithms, right? Especially in best of one, there is algorithms. And some algorithms just punish some decks more than others. So for example, if you're playing Is It and you just have like a billion cantrips in your deck, you're gonna hit your land drops, you know, you're gonna find stuff. Of course, you'll still get unlucky sometimes. I have a few screenshots of uh, my three land expressive iterations on my phone when I play on mobile. I have at least six screenshots and I'm not making this stuff up. I wouldn't come into a public forum and make this stuff up, but I have a specific expressive iteration screenshot folder of the times that I get three lands on my okay sorry i interrupted go ahead you're good man you guess is why you're here it makes sense that some decks are just kind of designed to keep you churning through to finding what you need so of course your is it deck is not going to get mana screws often as your mono green deck is right so i acknowledge that but even that notwithstanding i couldn't help but noticing that some of my lists just seemed to curve like they were supposed to and the other ones would always struggle no matter what i seemed to do so this definitely got me to just wonder it. And I have noticed, you know, I mean, I, I'm a best of three mage as well. I would say I play about 50-50. And I've noticed the best of three feels a lot more like it should. The randomness feels more random. It's interesting, though, because I do feel like in best of one, sometimes it feels to me like not only does your opening hand feel messed with, but it, it literally does sometimes feel like the top of my deck has also been algorithmed. It's been messed with in some way. It's one of those things where as much as I want to write it off, it's hard to fully let it go. I would be completely okay with hearing that there is a specific algorithm. That obviously, I don't care if there's the detail. I just want to hear 
this is how this is how much this has affected me, right? You can hear the the, the anxiety in my voice. I want to hear somebody say, yes, there is something happening within the randomization of your deck across the archetypes that determine deck randomization, uh, land draw, whatever. Just one of those things. Yes, the amount of lands that you draw is predetermined in an archetype or something of that nature. It would give a reason. It wouldn't leave me sitting here being like, I'm the unluckiest person in the world. I don't want to play magic anymore because it hurts my feelings. I want to talk about a few other things that have happened to you, which have felt really nasty. So Collected Company, I know that this is a card that you enjoy. Enjoy in quotes. (laughs) Well, when it works. I remember you had a series of screenshots that you had posted after a day of playing with Collected Company. Let's see. I remember in those screenshots, I think one of them had four Llanowar Elves. It sounds in the Rich G wheelhouse, yes. Those were the only creatures you had for Llanowar Elves. There was another screenshot where I think it was your three other Collected Companies and then then three lands. (laughs) Absolutely, yep. I have such undeniably bad luck when it comes to those spin the wheel kind of cards. And the worst part about it is I feel like the result in my options that are presented to me on the screen, like the memory deluge I mentioned earlier, somebody is laughing about it. Somebody is like, let's give them three collected companies and two lands. Let's do that this time and see how he reacts. When I play other people, this is definitely another side to it. When you see your opponents and they hit a, a Clothis and a Gruul Spellbreaker and then can turn Clothis on by playing their last creature for the turn and swing for 20 on turn three or whatever, I'm like, when's that going to happen to me? Am I ever going to collect a company into the absolute nuts ever? Because it seems like when my opponents play, they always do. You know what I mean? Everybody has that little joke, oh, the opponents never not have it, right? I cringe almost when I play cards like Collected Company. Like I started actually playing a few weeks ago before I moved over to colorless historic stuff. I was actually playing the Scurry Oak Heliod Collected Company, the, that mess, right? I don't know why I decided to play that. But I was, I saw somebody play it somewhere and I was like, oh, that looks fun. Like, yeah, it's fun. It looks absolutely miserable because when somebody plays it against you, you sit there, you let they do the thing and all the tokens, whatever, whatever. And you, you just lose. I have to say that every time somebody played it against me, played basically playing that deck and they got to collected company, they always had a soul warden in play already. They hit their scurry oak, they hit their heliod and they win. I play it. And from your examples and going forward, I just can't do it. It just never lines up for me. It's that 5%. It's that one outer that my opponent always hits. You hit double Heliod when you already got a Heliod on the board. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I just have to laugh now. It's just one of those things where I like, all right, it's part of the game. I, I had a real tough time like accepting variance, statistical improbability being part of the game. You play the game to win, play it to win, right? And winning was really important to me because I know I'm a decent Magic the Gathering player and I understand the game and I know its intricacies on a different level than some other people. So I like try to take pride in that, but I'm not like a spiky kind of place. You know, I have, I, I ride this line of casual seriousness, right? And I feel like the players who are good players never have bad luck, but it's people like me who always have all the bad luck. It's like, can I just have one of those days where I hit the the combo off the collected company? Or can I just, 
have that turn one, two, three in mono white in standard where your opponent's dead because you curved out perfectly and they can't catch up kind of thing. No, I can't because that's not how things work for me. I have to gloat because I think the luckiest and most explosive mono white opening I've ever had was actually versus Covertco Blue in one of our showdowns. Let me see if I can remember what it was. It was in the Eldraine standard. It was the cleric that makes an angel when you're at 27 life, right? So turn one, I hit one of those. Turn two, I hit two more of those. And then turn three, I hit Linden, swing with all of my dudes. And then already I got to 27 exactly on that turn and made three angels. (laughs) You know, I was on the play, of course. Meanwhile, CGB had just gotten around to resolving like a yeah, I don't know. I don't, he was playing some blue-red spells deck or something, right? I basically got all of my mono-white luck exactly where it counted. That's great. <laughs> that's If you're going to use it in one spot, that's the spot to use it, right? I'm like a low-key conspiracy theorist. And here's the thing. So this is another thing that interests me a lot. I don't tend to be a flutter. I mean, it's not that it doesn't happen to me. I like ramp strategies, so kind of prone to flooding. But I, I don't feel like it happens to me any more often than it needs to. It interests me that like some people are real like shuffler truthers. I'm a matchmaker truther. I feel like it's not even a conspiracy theory. It's just provable. It's real. I don't, anyone who thinks that's not happening, I, I don't know what to say to them. So I've definitely become a matchmaker truther. And for me, that's the part of the game that probably feels the most rigged at the moment. When I get in that zone, the matchmaker sort of like, oh God, I'm playing this. And then of course I'm playing my worst matchup or it's a mirror match and they're always on the play on the mirror match and they're always drawing the good stuff and I'm not. I always lose my mirror matches. At this point, I should be playing out my mirror matches. Attacking for the mirror, yeah. Exactly, right? Like that's what a smart magic player who wants to learn from their mistakes, take this experience and learn from it. I am auto-concede. Once I play my deserted beach and they play their deserted beach, I'm conceding. I'm done. I'm not here for this. <laughs> the one that hit me the hardest was uh, I was playing standard 2022. I love that format, by the way. I got known for playing the Simic Ramp deck. And one of the reasons I think I enjoyed the Simic Ramp deck so much is that no one else was playing it. My way of hacking the format is like, if literally no one else on the ladder is playing it, I'm not going to play against it. So, but I remember that I switched over after playing for like an absurdly long amount of time. I switched over to a Golgari deck. It was like a Harness Infinity deck with, you know, all the usual suspects, Binding the Old Gods and Lolf and Value for Days kind of a thing. And I was streaming and I, th- I would say 80% of my matchups were Golgari. Yes, I remember this now, yes. It literally got to the point people would play that, whatever that tapped Golgari Snow Duel is. I don't remember the name of it. It was like a very common play, right? As your opponent is on the play and they go, you know, turn one, tapped Snow Duel. I rage quit the stream after the, you know, 20th turn one Golgari. I mean, I was I was just done. It take, I don't want to play anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't want to get hurt anymore. And that's that's it reminds me of you because I had that feeling of being in an abusive relationship. Yeah, it's 100 percent. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, I was I can't I can't handle the heartbreak anymore. I don't know why we forget that this is the way it is. We come to every arena session like a toddler on their birthday. You know, I'm going to play this sweet Golgari deck that I brewed. I've been thinking about it all day. I'm stoked for whatever reason, even though I got 
you know, the cold sledgehammer of, of cruelty <laughs> last every single time I loaded up the client. This time's going to be different. It's going to be a good day. And I'm really stoked about magic today. And I just want to play a couple hours of good magic and have a good time. Right. And then it's like turn one tapped snow duel. Arena's just like, you thought, you thought. <laughs> uh, turn two soaring thought thief, right? Turn one crab, turn two thought thief on the play every time. Right. I'm sure you have things to say about this. I'm sure that ruined crab. <laughs> I'm biting my tongue. You hit my trigger points. Uh, the, the the rogue. Yes, I do. In fact, I was playing historic yesterday. The rogues have gone away, right? We've we've made do. Okay, we abused the system enough, and we're, we're moving on. In the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, at the spoiler alert at the end, the girl's in the pickup truck, and she's terrified, but she's driving away. Who comes out onto the road at the last second? Is Leatherface wielding his chainsaw around? And you're like, I thought you were dead. thought you were gone. So yesterday I was playing. I was covered in blood in the back of a pickup truck trying to play some historic. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to play a couple more, you know, doing that whole thing. Turn one rune crab. All right. Okay. I'll see what's happening. I was, I'm a better rich G now. You know what I mean? I, I was trying to be engaged. I want to play the matchups, you know, turn two rune crab, of course, right? No other thing would happen. And I think I literally would say, oh, of course, with the follow-up Evolving Wilds. Yeah, the Evolving Wilds, the fetch land, right? Yeah, mill for 12. And I, okay, concede, we're good. Then today I'm playing a couple quick matches. They're on the play. They play the black, blue flip land, whatever. I play my colorless land and there's a stick. And I'm like, why is there a stick? And here comes the Thieves Guild, was Thieves Guild Enforcer, right? And as soon as it hit the board, I didn't even let the animation go. I hit escape and I conceded. It is like a knee jerk, no thank you, I can't deal with this ever again kind of thing. I do not want to sit through it because they're going to win. I, I have faith in my abilities of playing magic, but up against certain archetypes, because of who I am and the luck that I run, I'm not even going to put myself through it. I'm just going to move on. You know what I mean? And especially rogues are just I'm sweating thinking about it. I'm glad that you decided to just end the cycle, walk away, and uh, move on to bigger and better things. You start another match. <laughs> I'm sorry to put you on the spot if it is this way, but I was just wondering if there's any story that comes to your mind, bring us out on a real nightmare. <laughs> another, another one of the <laughs> unluckiest matches you can ever remember. I'm scrolling through my memories of these screenshots too, which could probably jar some some <laughs> awful memories. I did. Oh, here's my opponent's graveyard that has uh, it's turn four and they have three quenches in their graveyard and a growth spiral. I was actually paused on one earlier turn four and my opponent had three thought erasures in their graveyard. These are like little pokes that are just like, how, well, how opponent? I did want to bring up something as I think the occurrence of your large casting cost, one or two ofs in your deck showing up in your opening hand or in your top like 10 cards because that one has been getting to me lately. Do you have anything to add there? Because that one is driving me crazy lately, especially playing a, a deck with a lot of large things. You're preaching to the choir. I've been playing this Settle the Wilds deck in Alchemy. Of course, that deck's all about having these one-of cards at these high casting costs that you can fetch up using Settle the Wilds. When I first made the deck, my curve went up to nine. I had Jadzi at eight, and I had the Terrask at nine. 
seems fine. They're one-offs. How often am I going to hit them? As it turns out, <laughs> every single game, Rich, it got to the point I didn't want to cut Jadzi from the deck. Like, I didn't even think cutting Jadzi was the right play, but I had to do it. Because it just kept showing up. It was too much, man. I just couldn't handle it anymore. It's infuriating when it happens over and over because you're playing a certain deck, right? And you want to play this deck and you want it to, you want it to, ideally, you want your deck to function in the way where it's curving out correctly. You're drawing the early cards early. You're drawing the later cards later. That's not always going to happen. But as I mentioned earlier, we see these patterns. We see these large casting cost things appearing on our opening hands, or we draw it on, on you know, our eighth card. There's two in the deck. There's one in the deck, whatever. Can someone just say that this is a thing that happens so I can stop being so aggravated about it all the time? Yeah, uh, we do that on purpose. You know what I mean? Just have somebody help us. I was playing colorless artifact stuff, you know, uh, Ulamog and Ugin and, you know, all that stuff, right? That that historic colorless deck. And I was on stream and I was playing it over and I played it in a historic event and... I didn't have any photographic evidence, but I think y'all can see that this stuff, I'm not making this stuff up. This is real stuff. I can post a lot of pictures of other things. As we were talking about earlier, I trim the deck in a way that is not beneficial to the overall function of the deck, but these things happen so frequently that I'm like, I got to take these things out because I don't want to draw three Ugans in my opening hand all the time. So I trimmed down to two Ulamogs, two Ugans, and two six casting cost Ugin. So there's six large casting cost things in my deck. And every match of that historic event, I would either draw an Ulamog and an, or an eight, eight casting cost Ugin or the eight casting cost Ugin and the six casting cost Ugin in my opening hand every single time. Six cards out of 60, so that's 10%. I don't want to start getting into the math. I was awful at math, but I know the math is bad there, okay? Great that you asked this question and we were talking about these, these, these large casting cost things and one-ofs and two-ofs because... Two of the most recent things that happened actually happened that I can remember vividly. So I'll give you these stories to prove that I am very, very unlucky. Okay. This is like three things that happened today that were really, really like one percenter, uh, you know, chances of happening that happened today. I'm playing historic again, playing my, you know, colorless deck, whatever. I was on the draw. So my opponent played uh, that one, one artifact shapeshifter. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's just a one, one colorless Every creature type, right? Whatever I play, you know, colorless land. Okay, go. And then my opponent plays another. Uh, there were it was the land colors were red and white, so it's like okay, some they're up to something. Uh, they play their second land. They play the Colossus Hammer, and then they play Resolute Strike. Is that what it's called? The the one casting cost white, one white, attach it and go. So my opponent and their first seven cards had their combo. They attacked for 13 or whatever it was. And I this was their turn two, right? They had their thing on turn two. So, okay, good, good game. And then another one that happened either yesterday or the day before. This is what kind of prompted me again to just not give up my title of the unluckiest magic player. I was playing historic. We are on the play. No, we're on the draw again because... It happened on their turn four. So my opponent plays a red green stomping grounds. They play that minion, the dragon minion, right? The zero one. And I'm like, oh, great. Mind you, I know what they're up to. We all know what they're up to, right? And they didn't mulligan. This was a keep, keep seven. I kept seven. We're fine. I'm like, all right. I had an extinction event on them turn three. If I needed it, we're good, right? Okay, they play their minion. And they go, okay, I play my land. They go, they play another minion. They attack for zero. They, they did the little, ha ha, I'm going to attack you for zero. Okay, cool. All right, we're good. They play their third land. They play Infuriate. 
giant growth on one of their minions. So they make it a, a seven or a six, whatever. They they tr- they can trigger the the thing that the minion does. And I'm like, oh come on, no, don't do it to me. They attack with both minions, and because they attack with two minions, they get two triggers. Apparently. Oh really? That's how it happens. They played a the seven seven old gnawbone, right? The seven seven. So that came into play, and I'm like, okay, I'm all right. I'm I'm taking ten here. We're good. I can extinction event. And then a second dragon hits the battlefield and it's the terror of Mount Velas, the double striker. Okay. We played a game of magic. That's, that is me. That's probably the last card in the hand too, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. No, hundred percent. I did. I did. So, so for this story does have photographic evidence on my Twitter. It, it, if you look, if you zoom in to my opponent, they have no cards left in hand. They had the absolute perfect nuts by turn three to just do the thing. And let me tell you, Arjuna, so many times I want to do the thing in magic. It's part of the game, right? You want to do the thing. I think I might've done the thing like twice in 25 years. Overall, the entire time of I've, I've played and I've played combo decks and I've done everything I could to like feel good about being like, oh, I did the thing, you know, like I played Cadaverous Bloom when Cadaverous Bloom was like a standard deck or whatever, you know, back, back, back in the day, that was my favorite deck to play. And like, when I got to do the thing, I played City of Solitude and, you know, drained my opponent or, or whatever I had to do. I did the thing. And now that's 25 years ago. <laughs> That's the last time I probably did the thing. <laughs> I remember that one time back in the day where my combo deck went off once. I'm sure I definitely will think of many more awful stories because I have, I mean, I'm looking at these pictures. I have like four Ember Cleaves in hand and I have like two lands in play. The Ember Cleave story reminded me, this was when in my infancy of thinking something was weird, right? Things have started like, why am I seeing four Ember Cleaves on turn two and like, whatever, whatever, whatever. Why am I drawing two of this, two of this, two of this, and one of these, you know, like these weird patterns of of repetition. I was on Twitter and this was a couple of years ago, a more well-known streamer, uh, magic player posted like, Oh, look, it must be nice to have four Ember Cleaves. Like I was like, somebody else sees it too. It was, it was like a moment. I was like, and I replied, I don't use Twitter much. I vent. I'm like, that's my Twitter thing, right? I'm like, oh, look what happened to me again. You know what I mean? And, but it's funny. It's whatever. I like to just show the world and not making it up. But anyway, so I replied and I was like, okay, so has this been happening to you a lot more lately? Because I've been noticing that I've been drawing a lot more of, you know, my four Embercleaves at a time or four tour brands. You know, I like went on this like diatribe and a well-known Twitter person replied to me in a not so friendly way kind of making fun of me. That hurt my feelings. That's when I knew I was like, okay, if I'm going to have these feelings, keep it to myself or just keep it jokey uh, as I sit here with a tinfoil hat on my head. Because statistically, it's going to happen. It's not going to be magic if these things don't happen. I'm like, but the, but in my head, like I didn't engage. I was like, all right, you know what? Um, maybe I'm just reading too much into this. And then I, I deleted the tweet. I just kind of left it alone. But the thing they said was like, it wouldn't be magic if these things didn't happen. True. Okay. These things can happen. And I realize that I'm not like things will happen. Statistical improbabilities will show up every once in a while. How many Royal flushes have you hit in your lifetime? Zero to one, maybe. But how many times have you drawn four Ember Cleaves in the first 10 cards? Five or six. That's my experience. Anyway, there's something wrong here. And that's when I started collecting my screenshots, collecting my evidence, and just casually being like, Something's up here. I get unlucky a lot setting up camp, my own, my own little like 
conspiracy theorist camp, like, hey, anybody else have these experiences? I want to bounce some ideas off of you. And then I think it was all downhill from there. And and here we are today talking about it. And I'm glad that you invited me on to talk about this stuff, because as you can see, I get real worked up, really excited about it, because it makes me happy that other people can talk about it and realize that there is something awry, right? There's like something weird. We can all agree upon that. And it is entertaining to see what side you take. This person was like, that's magic, you know, like shrug guy, like that's magic. And I'm like, no, it's not, you know, like it's, but yet, you know, I'll sit down and I'll play and I'll I'll laugh through it because at this point it being the unluckiest magic player in the universe, it's my brand. So I got to keep it up. (laughs) You know, man, sometimes the strongest thing to do is just accept a lot in life and just have a sense of humor about it. You know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the Arena Craft Podcast and just share your stories with us. It's an honor. Thank you so much. Yeah, so uh, if you in the audience want to, you know, follow the wildness, which is the life of Rich G's arena experience. Rich, where can people find you and what's the best way to interact with your unluckiness? Magic-related stuff on Twitter, at Mythic Legendary. That's my Twitter handle. It's sort of a rollover from when I was doing podcasts. So it's at Mythic Legendary. And um, I stream on Twitch um, semi-regularly again. And that's uh, RichMTG, twitch.tv, RichMTG. Very simple uh, if you want to find me there and see these things unfold in real time and get some clips and get some evidence going. I am forever collecting evidence. So please come join me. Jacob Hawken collecting all of that conspiracy evidence. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, thanks so much, Rich. You know, you're, you're one of my oldest content creation friends, and uh, it's always a pleasure to get you on the show for a chat. Crafty's just going to reiterate it. CGB's taking a bit of a break from making content. Things are going to truck along as normal with the Arena Craft podcast. Still going to be releasing it on the same day. I, I don't think anything's going to change with that. I'm going to get a series of guests on the show, and uh, that should be happening over the next, I don't know, month or two. We're not quite sure when CGB's coming back, but no pressure. Uh, we've had a lot of cool people that I've reached out to and some people who've reached out to me talking about coming on the show. So I'm actually really excited. I've got some pretty rad and recognizable names of folks who are going to come on the show. So I'm really stoked to unveil that for all of y'all. So uh, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us in your podcatcher of choice. Uh, as always, we're still releasing the video version. You can meet non-cat and also get to see Disappointed Riches with Magic Arena. So yes, you can go and watch that on Kovaco Blue's YouTube channel. I wanted to give a shout out to all the patrons and uh, you just keep everything trucking along with this production and we really couldn't do this without you. And the final thing I just want to say is that when you listen to this, it's going to be the last release of the year. So I just wanted to wish everyone in the Craft Nation a happy new year. You know, this is a great time to be visualizing what you want to be doing in the new year, what you want to be getting out of the new year. The new year is a very important holiday for me. That actually New Year's Day is my favorite day of the year. Just want to encourage everyone to, you know, think about what's coming up and think about what you want your year to look like and then go out there and be the best version of yourself and be fearless, be courageous. Don't be put off by the variance, as it were. I wish you all a balanced mix of spells and lands going into 2022. (laughs) So couldn't have put it better myself. So uh, have a wonderful New Year, Crafties, and I'll catch you next week.